What's up, everyone? I'm Joe Pompliano, and this is The Joe Pomp Show. Cristiano Ronaldo, Kareem Benzema, and Neymar have all joined the Saudi Pro League on nine-figure annual contracts, and the oil-rich league isn't slowing down anytime soon. They're bidding to host marquee FIFA events, and they want to compete with Europe's top football clubs. So today's podcast is going to examine the league's overall strategy and the impact that it will have on the global sports landscape. This is a super interesting topic, and I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. So let's get right into it. So this past weekend, you probably saw a video go viral on social media. It was of Neymar arriving to a private airport in Paris. He jumped out of a luxury sprinter van with three other people and then boarded a private Boeing 747 airplane. Now, this plane was special. This plane was sent to Paris the day before by a prince from Saudi Arabia, a prince named Al-Walid bin Talal. He is the cousin of Saudi Prime Minister MBS. And this airplane is one of the most luxurious aircrafts in the world, point blank. It has several bedrooms. It has a spa. It has a grand piano. It has a 14-person dining table. It has a prayer room, a movie room. It has a golden throne literally in the middle of the plane. And there's even an elevator connecting all three floors of this plane. So a Boeing 747, if that was just traditional Boeing 747, it could hold 400 plus people. This thing has been completely renovated. They reportedly spent hundreds of millions of dollars on this plane. And now it's worth about $500 million, half a billion dollars. But the Saudi prince, Al-Walad bin Talal, didn't need the airplane as he owns two other airplanes himself. So he loaned his custom $500 million plane to Neymar for the six-hour flight from Paris to Saudi Arabia. And that's not it. Because when Neymar arrived in Saudi Arabia's capital city, his two-year, $327 million contract reportedly grants him access to just some insane perks. We're talking a fully staffed luxury mansion, a fleet of private jets, helicopters, and supercars. And I want to give you a little bit of context on just how big of a deal this is. So $326 million over two years, that's $3.1 million per week. Per week, he's going to earn over the next two years. Again, he's getting a private plane and a fully staffed mansion to live in, and he's going to get money paid for social media posts too. We've seen some of these ambassador deals. Lionel Messi had an ambassador deal with the country. Ronaldo has an ambassador deal with the country. And Saudi Arabia is going to pay Neymar $546,000 per social media post promoting the country. He's also going to get a bonus of $87,000 for each win that his team wins in the league. And when you add in the fact that Saudi Arabia had to pay $100 million transfer fee to PSG to even get Neymar, this deal not only doesn't sound believable, it obviously doesn't sound real. But that's the world we live in today. Saudi Arabia has spent billions on every sport from golf and wrestling to Formula One and esports. You guys know this by now. But the part you may not know is that the oil-rich country, they want to completely upend the world's most popular sport, soccer or football, by building up the Saudi Professional League. And I'm going to run you guys through exactly what they're attempting to do. So for those that don't know or haven't followed this to some degree, the Saudi Pro League, SPL, is the highest division of football in Saudi Arabia. They launched this league in 1976, and the league was most recently ranked as the 58th strongest domestic league in the world. 
So if you go through all of these rankings, there's a few different sites that do it, but they basically go through and they rank the domestic leagues from the most competitive to the least competitive. The Premier League would be number one in England, Bundesliga two, La Liga three, Serie A four, League one, five, right? So those are like the big five leagues across European football competition. Premier League, Bundesliga, La Liga, Serie A, and League one. For context, Major League Soccer on their table currently ranks 16th as the 16th best league in the world. And Saudi Arabia, the Saudi Pro League, was 58th in their rankings last year. So this league has essentially been irrelevant on the global football stage for a long period of time. But with Vision 2030 coming into play, we all know what's happening. Saudi Arabia's crown prince is concerned about the country's dependence on fossil fuels. So many of you know, we've talked about this before, Saudi Aramco is the state-controlled oil company that they own. That company produces 10 million barrels of crude oil per day. They reported a net profit last year of $161 billion. Billion dollars last year was the most money ever recorded for a company profit in one single year. That's $441 million in profit every single day or $316,000 in profit every single minute, right? $2.1 trillion market cap, third largest market cap in the world behind Apple and Microsoft. Saudi Arabia owns this company, right? So one of the largest oil producers in the world. And their economy has become extremely dependent on oil. It accounts for 42% of the country's total GDP, and it accounts for 90% of the country's export earnings. So the Crown Prince MBS, he wants to drastically change the foundation of the country's economy. He obviously wants to soften the image so they can do investments and other things in the Western world. But ultimately, the easiest way to think about what they're trying to do is they want it to become a tourist destination like Dubai. They want to build a Dubai in Saudi. They're investing a lot of money in the infrastructure of their country. They're trying to build these cities that are futuristic, don't have income taxes, and they want to recruit people to come live in these areas like Dubai. So soccer is seen as an avenue to go do that. And they are investing a lot of money into the league and the sport, and they're trying to drastically revamp this. For example, in June 2023, this was probably the most important thing they did. And what Saudi did is they took their $650 billion sovereign wealth fund, maybe it's $700 billion now, but it's one of the largest sovereign wealth funds in the world. And they took that fund and they used it to take control of four Saudi pro league teams, right? So the four biggest teams in their domestic soccer league, the sovereign wealth fund, basically the country took control over. They own 75% of all four of those teams. And now what they've been doing is they've been using that fund, that $650 billion sovereign wealth fund, effectively as a bottomless pit of cash to go out and sign some of the world's best players for these teams. And there's a bunch of teams. I think there's 16 teams in the league total. So a bunch of the other teams obviously are not happy about this. Four of the teams are owned by the country and effectively have unlimited amounts of money to go spend. And we'll get into a little bit of what they're doing with that. But ultimately, they're trying to create an upper echelon along the league where these four teams are absolutely stacked. They have some of the biggest names in the sport and they can vault them up their rankings. That's exactly what they've done. I mentioned a few players earlier in the intro. Cristiano Ronaldo, he was with Manchester United before this on a $35 million annual salary deal. He's getting paid $213 million a year. $35 million to $213 a year for being in Saudi Arabia. Benzema is the same thing. He was getting $20 million a year at Real Madrid. He's getting $218 million a year, a year, right? So we're not talking about small jumps where they're giving you a little bit of an increase, telling you to come there maybe one, two, three years, make some money and go back home. 
We're talking about generational money. They're offering to take you, Benzema's case, $20 million to $218 million a year, a year. Ronaldo, $35 million to $213 million a year, right? Sadio Mane, Conte, Malcolm, Hota. There's a bunch of different players. We could go up and down the list. Basically, all 30 of the European players they've signed over the last 12 to 18 months has seen an increase of somewhere between, you know, 100% on their contract to 1,000%, depending on kind of the level that they were at before. But massive increases across the table for virtually every single player that they've brought over. And it's also important to not forget about Lionel Messi and Kylian Mbappé. Those two players turned down some of the biggest contracts we've ever seen in sports history, probably two of the biggest contracts that we've ever seen in sports history. Lionel Messi turned down a three-year, $1.6 billion offer from Saudi Arabia. That's $533 million per year. And look, a lot of people are saying, oh, he's going to make the same amount of money in the U.S. He is not going to make $1.6 billion over three years in the United States. He's not. He's not. The Apple deal is amazing. The Adidas deal is amazing. The fact that he's going to own some equity in Inter-Miami when it's all done is amazing. They're paying him like $50, $60 million a year. That's amazing. I don't care. He could earn $1.6 billion over three years, no income tax. That's insane. That's an outrageous amount of money. He's not going to earn that in the United States, regardless of how many people you think are going to go sign up for Apple's MLS subscriber pass. It's just not going to happen. So he turned that down. Obviously, there's a bunch of other things that went into that decision, but it was the richest contract in sports history he turned down. Then we had Mbappe, which is in kind of a unique situation where it seemed like he wanted to get away from PSG. Saudi Arabia came in. They said that we'll pay a transfer fee of $332 million for Mbappe. And they knew they agreed to allow him to just come for one year and then he could go wherever. Most people presumed Real Madrid after that year. They offered him a $221 million salary for one year, which would be the highest of all time. And there was a bunch of other things that went into it around commercial rights and images right, image rights and stuff like that. And that's where you saw the reported figure of $1 billion for one year. Now, he didn't end up doing that. Messi didn't end up doing his. But just because they didn't end up doing it doesn't mean it wasn't offered. It was offered. It was real money. It was being negotiated. Those are things that were out there. And it proves that they have a lot more money in their coffers to go out and get other star players. Today's episode is sponsored by FrameBridge. If you haven't heard of them by now, FrameBridge is the easiest solution for custom-made framing. From iPhone photography to sports jerseys, you name it, they can frame it. So many of you have probably seen that I got a new studio background recently. It's a bookcase, and I wanted a couple different pictures to put in the bookcase. So I went to FrameBridge. All I did was upload a photo, selected the size, and picked out a frame. I placed my order within seconds, and before I knew it, the perfectly framed pictures were delivered to my doorstep in a matter of days. It was quick, it was easy, and most importantly, it was simple. So go to framebridge.com or see if there's a local Framebridge store near you to get started and custom frame just about anything today. And the Saudi Pro League isn't done. I just mentioned before that they've signed about 30 players, I think it is, from European League so far over the last 12 to 18 months. They have said, and ESPN is reporting this, that they want to sign 50. Internally, they've put the number of 50 of the people that they want to sign. So that's another 20 from here. Maybe it goes higher, maybe it goes lower, but we'll ballpark it at 20 more players they want to sign. They also want to increase annual revenue for the league from $120 million to $480 million by 2030. And their main goal is to become a top 10 league by 2030. 
So what did I say before? They're ranked 58th right now, and they want to become a top 10 league by 2030. So over the next seven years, they want to go from 58th to top 10. They want to make it essentially the go-to league if you're a good player and you want to earn a good sum of money outside of the European Big Five, the leagues that I just talked about earlier, everything from the Premier League to Bundesliga, La Liga, Serie A, League One. They want to be mentioned with those leagues. But more importantly, Saudi Arabia seems to want to use their domestic league as a Trojan horse to secure some of the sport's biggest events. Look at the FIFA Club World Cup, for instance. That's going to be hosted in Saudi Arabia later this year. The kingdom has also secured the Asian Cup in 2027, and they are undoubtedly expected. Many people are saying that they will be a final bid to host the 2030 World Cup. They have been clear about that, that that is their main objective. That is what their North Star is. They want to go after the 2030 FIFA World Cup, and they want to host it. Now, these are things to be determined. We don't know what's going to happen here, but that is their goal. They want to show that their domestic league is strong enough. They're investing in the game. The country loves it. The fans love it. And they have the infrastructure to support the 2030 World Cup in Saudi Arabia. Now, look, the most obvious thing here is that many people are saying and are going to say that this type of investment isn't sustainable in the long run. The main thing that they'll point to is the Chinese Super League. I'm sure soccer or football fans know about the Chinese Super League. But for those of you who don't, the Chinese Super League is a great lesson. So the Chinese Super League is a league. It's a professional league in China. China invested heavily, national funds, private sector funds, all of the stuff in the sport of soccer. They actually put soccer in school curriculums. They set aside billions of dollars for tens of thousands of soccer fields in China. And they created this massive plan. I think it was like a 50-page plan to become a global soccer powerhouse. They started buying players left and right. I'm talking about Oscar, Hulk, a bunch of other players. They were investing outrageous amounts of money, 30, 40, $50 million a year in these players. Crazy eight-figure transfer fees to bring these players to the country. But the pandemic hit and everything went south for the league. A bunch of the investors pulled, a few of the teams went bankrupt. A bunch of the players ended up leaving because their wages went unpaid and their contracts were null and void. And the league is not anything like what they promised. Everyone was concerned about it. A bunch of coaches and managers were actually saying, hey, look, this could be a big threat to European football and the structure that we've already built over the last few hundreds of years. And it ended up not being that at all. There was just, you know, a bunch of nonsense that ended up going on and it became a huge mess, a bunch of corruption and everything associated with that. So many people will point to that and they'll say, that's what's going to happen in Saudi. This is not a real thing. This is going to go on for a couple of years. They're going to get tired of it. They're not going to be able to sustain this and it's not going to happen. But I would caution that for a variety of reasons. One, Saudi is using government funds. So I think that's a big difference. Some of the government funds were being used in China, but also a lot of this was people from the private sector and just billionaires who are poning up their own money to buy teams and buy players. This is government funds that have effectively taken control of the four biggest teams, and they're using their sovereign wealth fund to go out and buy some of the biggest named players. So that's piece number one. Piece number two is that they are using this, again, as a Trojan horse to do something else. Their main goal is not to build up the Saudi Pro League into the NFL and make it this huge profitable sport where everyone's making a bunch of cash and, and uh, taking distributions from the business. Like That's not what they're trying to do. They're solely using it as a Trojan horse for tourism. That's their end goal. Their end goal is to make Saudi Arabia and their new cities a tourist destination like Dubai or like any of these other countries throughout the world. 
So that is number one and number two, the big main differences. The thing that I would say to this, and many people have also talked about that it's going to destroy European football. And I don't believe that. I think that there's room for both of these things, and I'll explain why. First off, what they've done so far is they've they've come out and they've said, we don't necessarily want to compete with the big five leagues. We're not trying to compete with the Premier League. We don't want to compete with Bundesliga. We don't want to compete with La Liga. We don't want to compete with these leagues. We want to be top 10, right? And some people would say that is competing. It's not really competing. If you're number 10, the 10th best league, you're not the fifth best league. You're not the second best league. You're not the first best league. And the difference is this. What they're currently doing is they're helping those leagues, right? I would argue that they are being more helpful than not at this point to a lot of the biggest European leagues. And a good example of this is virtually every player that they have acquired, big name player, has been north of the age of 30, most of them in their high 30s, at the tail end of their career, and unwilling or unable to get a similar contract from another club. So in most instances, a lot of these European clubs are selling the players or transferring the players to these Saudi teams because they're getting offers that they wouldn't get anywhere else. They're able to get out of contracts that they wouldn't want to pay or wouldn't want to have on their books regardless, and they're getting an offer that no other club is being able to give them or wants to give them. And Neymar is an amazing example. Neymar ended up doing this at 31 years old despite a bunch of other players like Ronaldo, like Messi, like Benzema winning Ballon d'Ors in their 30s. Neymar left at 31 because he was not going to get an offer even close to this from someone else. Who wants Neymar, right? You can talk about the skill. You can say he's an amazing player and an amazing talent, but with some concerns about fitness and other things off the field and stuff like that, there was not a serious team who was willing to pay top dollar for him to come, both to the transfer fee, but also on a salary basis. So Saudi was by far and away the best option. It gave PSG an out and it gave Neymar a bunch of cash. That's great for all parties involved. And I would argue that that's the way it's going to be for most of the European clubs at this point. My guess is how this shakes out is it's a little bit of both. And one might say, okay, maybe this screws over the MLS. Maybe it does. But the MLS was never going to pay $200 million for a player anyways. When it comes to Messi, I've heard this literally directly from people that have knowledge of this situation. They've essentially said that we need to compensate Messi and his family in a way that they expect to. But they were never, never were they trying to get north of a billion dollars on a deal. Never were they trying to do that. They knew it wasn't possible. Inter Miami was never going to be able to pay it. MLS was never going to be able to pay it. Apple, Adidas, they were going to be unwilling to pay it because it just never made financial sense to do that. But Inter Miami knew that they had to get a deal presented to him that compensated the family in a way that they expected to be compensated. Now, that doesn't mean a billion dollars. It doesn't mean $10 million though, right? It's obviously somewhere in, the, in between. But MLS, that's not the way they do business, right? They're trying to build a sustainable league. The thing that I would argue that they should be focusing on is changing the salary cap rules so more of that can happen and other teams are able to do that without circumventing the rules. They should be focused on homegrown players so those players don't end up going to Europe or other leagues like that. And a combination of a few different things can get this league kept on the trajectory. I want to say kept. I don't want to say on the trajectory. Kept on the trajectory that they're currently going. Because MLS is hot right now, and they're doing an incredible job of raising the talent gap, but also bringing in people like Messi, like Sergio Busquets, like Jordi Alba, players of that caliber that can make a huge difference and bring an immense amount of attention. The Messi signing, I was talking to a friend about this the other day, is probably one of the biggest sports events of our lifetimes. 
if not the biggest, one of the biggest, if not the biggest. And I wholeheartedly mean that. And I don't mean it because MLS is going to become the most popular soccer league in the world and all the other players are going to come here and it's going to take over. I don't think that's going to happen. There's no promotion or relegation. The players can't make nearly as much money here as they could elsewhere. So even if you're at the tail end of your career or you have a unique circumstance like Messi where you're getting a deal that isn't necessarily just based on salary, in a lot of cases, it still doesn't make sense for you to come. So I'm not saying. But what Messi has done for the league has probably vaulted the league forward a decade, in my opinion. If you look at social media followers, MLS has gained, I think they said like 20-something million social media followers across all platforms over the last year. And I think it was 24 I read, and 22 of them came after Messi signed, right? That's just absolutely insane. We all know about Inter-Miami. They went from a million followers to probably 14 or 15 now at this point. They're the most followed MLS team more than every other team combined. They have more followers than any MLB team, any other NFL team, any NHL team, and all but like two or three NBA teams. So from a social media standpoint, it's absolutely insane. If you just look at the Google Trends for a couple different keywords, worldwide, right, globally, MLS, MLS subscriber pass, whatever you want to look at that's associated with the MLS, all at all time highs. This is not even close, in my opinion, to what happened when David Beckham came to the United States. And I don't want to go on a rant about this, but there's two things that make it really different, in my opinion. Number one, David Beckham scored goals, but Messi scores a lot of goals. This guy is a freaking human highlight reel, and Americans love that. They love the action. They love someone that's just putting the ball in the back of the net. Number two, social media exists, right? David Beckham came in 2007, I believe it was. It was a totally different landscape on the internet. Most of these social media sites today that are the most heavily used either didn't exist or were in their infancy when David Beckham came to the United States. Lionel Messi scores a goal. This past weekend is the perfect example. He scores a goal against Nashville. I tweeted out within probably 60 seconds. I'm watching it live. I go directly to my phone. I find the clip from MLS and I tweet it out. Within seconds, it has hundreds of likes and thousands of impressions. I ended up doing probably four to five to six tweets that night alone. Tens of millions of impressions on those tweets. Instantly, instantaneous, people are hearing about what he's doing all over the world. And what do they do? They followed this. Every single game, there's more and more and more people going to sign up for Apple TV subscriptions. They're following the league. They're pressing follow on Instagram. They're looking at what Messi's up to. He's Instagramming. He's literally doing click-throughs on his story to promote the sign-up service. So this is absolutely tremendous for MLS. And the reason I say all this is quite simple. I don't think it's like an either-or. I think it is everyone helping out each other. And the reason for this is simple. MLS doesn't want to be that league long-term. They don't want to be the league where you only come to when you're done with your European career, no other team wants to sign you, you're going to come make a few million dollars more here in the United States at 36, 37, 38, 39 years old. They want players that are at the top of their game that are going to come and live in the United States because one, they want to, but two, at some point, the viewership and the media deals and the sponsorships and everything can pay them what they're worth from a market rate perspective. Saudi Arabia can get to a top 10 league without doing that. And I would argue that from a capital efficiency standpoint, they don't really care about it. If you're willing to pay Ronaldo $200 million a year, if you're willing to pay Lionel Messi $500 million a year, you are willing to do whatever it takes to become one of those top leagues. And I think it's going to work out really well for a bunch of clubs that have older players that they either A, can't get rid of, or B, don't have high enough offers for. They're going to go to Saudi. It's going to work out well for the agents. It's going to work out well for the players, and it's going to work out well for the clubs. My guess is that MLS ends up staying a little bit in its own lane 
and tries to develop more homegrown players, tries to do things in a more sustainable way where media rights continue to increase. And that will put them in a position where if Saudi Arabia ever ends up giving up on this or faltering in some capacity, then they'll have the opportunity to be a top 10 league in the world. And I actually don't think that MLS is really all that far off from being a top 10 league. I mentioned it earlier. I think they were ranked 15th or 16th in the world right now. It's a lot closer than people realize. You know, it's it's a couple steps down in European football or the English pyramid. But at this point, they've become a legitimate talking point on the global stage. One, simply because Messi is here. But two, the talent is continuing to get better and better and better. And my guess is that Saudi Arabia ends up adding to this conversation rather than subtracting to it. By becoming a better league, getting more talent, paying up for that, obviously, out of their sovereign wealth fund, whether they become a top five league or top 10 league or top 20 league, they're going to get better. MLS is continuing to get better. And the top five leagues in European football aren't going anywhere. That's it for today, though. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed it, please go leave me a five-star review on Apple, on Spotify, on Google, wherever you're listening to this podcast episode on. Give me five stars. Let me know what I can be doing better, what you're enjoying, and so forth. Have a great day, and we'll talk on Wednesday.